0: And Canadian um, fifty cents Canadian. Yeah. So Tim Leiwicky is the former uh, CEO of uh, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, and my recollection is that he and I didn't exactly see eye to eye in the early days, but um, when all was said and done, um, I think there was a, some level of mutual respect. Learning curve, Bob.
1: Yeah. Tim 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 had to go through the learning curve because Tim thought he was coming to. Someplace where he could. Well, I don't want to say Hickville, but I—I mean, he was coming to a city and a country that he really had no grasp of how cosmopolitan things were. He didn't. He didn't know how I mean, he didn't know how complex and how um, important the Maple Leafs were. He didn't. He didn't understand it. He didn't understand the fan base. He didn't understand a lot of what was going on in Toronto. Uh, and so
0: the learning curve had to happen on the fly. Well, um, if we got off to a rugged start, um, and I think we did a little bit, uh, it all turned out all right. And in fact, uh, when I was given some sort of award, uh, you know, broadcaster of the, um, of the last 10 centuries, something like that. Oh my goodness. (laughs) It was like Wiki who gave me the award. Now, I don't think that was because he asked to do that. I think it was just because they asked him, you know, if you're coming, will you you hand him this trophy? No, but um, I missed him because he's a smart, smart guy and he has gone on to do some um, extraordinary things. And if you haven't paid attention, then you're going to learn something Uh, because this guy, um, he gets things done. I think he's one of the top five power brokers in sports in the world. Bob. I think you're right in the world. And we're going to talk to him about, uh, one of his latest ventures, um, the arena and in part the team in Seattle, the Kraken. And some of the other things he's working on Tim lie this time on the podcast and radio program back after these messages. It's McCowan, it's Shannon back with you. Our uh, guest today, you will uh, recognize by a uh, face or voice or both, um, the former CEO of, uh, Maple Leaf sports and entertainment. He's now the CEO of the Oakview group, uh, Tim Laiwiki, uh, joins us from Seattle, um, where there is a new arena and a new hockey team and everything seems to be going pretty well there. Mr. Lewicki. wouldn't you say?
2: Well, we're, we're going to open with the Foo Fighters and Coldplay this week, whether we like it or not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, would you rather watch a concert or a hockey game at this point in your life?
2: You know, I, um, it, it's it's fun being a part of this. I have two partners, so I have the Kraken, and I always tell everyone, hey, west of the Mississippi, best best hockey team and best arena is the Kraken and Climate Pledge Arena, and east of the Mississippi, it's the Islanders and UBS Arena. So it's fun balancing out the two hockey teams that we're partners with, and um, the two arenas are both spectacular and tell very different stories. But I'm I'm having an awful lot of fun.
1: The the concept of what you did in Seattle. I mean, I, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, so I used to I went to the World's Fair in '62. I saw the roof. I used to go to Sonics games. Uh, what you guys did with maintaining the roof line and still built a state of the art arena is one of the great feats of engineering, isn't it?
2: It is. So I, I didn't realize you, you had the, the history here. And I, I have to say, I've, I've done about 20 of these projects now in my career. This one's been the hardest because one, it was our startup company. And I, and I know I, I took a little bit of grief when I left after three years in Toronto. And, and everyone said, oh, he didn't leave to go start his own company. There's something going on there. I, I left to start my own company. And so when you go do these on your own, first of all, you realize it's your money. And if it doesn't work, um, you're scrubbing dishes for a living. Nothing against scrubbing dishes for a living. But that's you kind of look at this and realize, oh, my God, this is my career, my reputation and my money on the line here. Um, If I don't do this well, we're in trouble. And then the first project we start with was the most difficult project I've ever done because we had to lift that roof. It literally hovered in the air for three years, the historic roof. It was governed by not just the Federal Historic Commission, but the State Historic Commission and the City Historic Commission. So three historic commissions, very flexible human beings, I might add. And then we had to go take the old arena out and take a 350,000 square foot hole and make it a million square feet and then build a brand new arena. And then when you're all done with that, you got to go take the roof drop it back on and hope that everything um, <laughs> attaches properly and then let's just throw in covid virus to make life really interesting yeah. <laughs> hey,
1: we, so let, let me ask you this so how did you get how did you convince the city to to basically give you the arena in order to do this what was, what was the what was the what was the, the 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 key thing that you walked into city council and said hey listen we can do this
2: So interestingly enough, um, this was, um, a bid that we ultimately made, sorry, I'm I'm letting people in our office. So (laughs) this was a bid that we had to win against, um, my old company, AEG. So I had to come along and bid against them. Um, they came along and did a bid that was a little bit different than ours. And so, um, they didn't you know it was a little amazing that they didn't live by the rules and so they chose us over them because we followed the rules and and we didn't ask for any money out of the city so we took a hundred percent of the risk at the time it was six hundred and fifty thousand dollars and then at the end of the day it was um about 1 billion 165 million we put in here so when we started Um, they were happy that we were going to come along and take the kind of risk we were going to take because, one, we followed the rules and didn't ask for any money from the city, and we were the best bid. Uh, And number two, we told them we were dedicated to getting you an NHL franchise. But when we won the bid, there were no certainties. We didn't know for sure that Gary was going to get us a franchise, and I didn't have my partnership locked down because the partnership was essentially dependent on getting the team. So we, we won the bid, we were the best bid, we were willing to take the risk and we would have lived with this commitment if we didn't have hockey. But we were fortunate, David Bonderman and, and we put a local group together. The local group's fantastic. It includes Andy Jassy, who's the CEO of Amazon, the Wright family that owns the Space Needle, Jerry Bruckheimer, who's a longtime friend. They all came together. We, we ultimately, again, at the time, everyone thought we overpaid for the franchise. But now if you kind of look at that $650 million commitment, looks pretty smart. And then the price started going up on the arena because we threw more money at it. One, because we had to make it NHL compliant. Two, we made it NBA compliant. Three, we un- ended up hiring some brilliant architects in Populous and Rockwell to design all of our spaces. And four, we had uh, a commitment to being carbon neutral. So that, that was a $50 million additional cost for us to pull all the gas out of the building and go electric so for the city huge win for them because we built maybe one of the two or three best arenas in the world we got the nhl and we're very dedicated now to as soon as we get the building open praying that everything goes well then we turn our attention to trying to get the nba the nba should be back in seattle uh it was unfortunate what happened here i think the NBA and the city both regret that 10 years ago um, we couldn't solve the building problem. Now that we've solved the building problem, the 12th largest marketplace in the United States probably deserves their team back.
1: Well, there is some irony in that when you say 12 years ago cuz you were at AEG then, weren't you? And 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 they were managing the the old Key uh, Key Arena, correct?
2: Yeah, so this was one of my accounts and and actually I personally was really involved because I like Seattle. My brother was up here at the time as the president of all Paul Allen sports Holdings. So we had the trailblazers and he had the Seahawks and I worked very diligently with him to help him get Pete Carroll. Then I worked very diligently with him and Adrian uh, to bring the, the sounders here. And so I, uh, Seattle was near and dear to my heart and I really liked it. I, it's funny. Seattle's Toronto. It, it's a weird thing, but I feel more at home in Seattle, because of the time I spent in Toronto and how much I love living in Toronto. It's a very clean city, very environmentally driven. The people are nice. They treat each other fairly nice. It's, um, it, it's a city that cares just as much about the have-nots as the haves, and so there is a, a conscience here, but it's a very beautiful city to live in, and it does act much more like a Canadian city at times, with not just the politics and the social commitment, but just the, it's a very clean livable city. And I find that to be a trait similar to Vancouver and Toronto. And so it, it's funny to go through this cycle, to be at AEG when we kind of develop this relationship, then be in Toronto, begin to see the similarities between the two markets, leave, create my own company, and then suddenly bid against AEG. And now suddenly we, we own the arena and we're, we got the NHL back here, and I'm, um, again, back in the NHL. So um, it has been an interesting five, six years here as we built this company out. But um, the thing I'm most proud of is being part of that NHL family, not just here, but also in New York.
0: Um, I am no architect by any stretch of the imagination, Tim, but um, I'm in. Oh, no,
2: no, no, no. Don't sell yourself short. I've seen some of what you design. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, don't don't get please tim don't right, get we're gonna going. go down don't that road don't, are we don't, don't get him go don't get him going we're gonna play that
0: game are we well no but i mean i'm serious you know you you, you throw out the notion of uh of well we had to keep the roof on the old place so we had to suspend that up in the air well i have visions of all kinds of things like a giant crane holding this roof for three years suspended over the air so just a little detail on how you or how how they managed to do this.
2: So actually, it, it, you, you are correct with trying to envision how we did it. So we went we, when we first won the bid, the only person who really thought we could do it was a guy named Chris Carver at Populous, who designs a lot of my arenas. We have seven of these arenas right now, and Chris is helping us design a bunch of them. So I've known Chris most of my uh, career. So Chris ultimately came along and said, we can do this. We can make this work and um we, we the, the hard part is it's a historic roof so we can't use can't touch the roof we right. could put it up in the air but we can't touch the roof and so you can, when we designed it and then we, when 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 we had to put it back on and by the way that we had to operate we can't put anything on the roof or anything underneath the roof we're not allowed to do anything that alters the roof we also couldn't alter three of the four sides of the building. So we had to take the glass from 1962, Mm -hmm. preserve it, store it, then unpack it, reinstall it in its exact place. And by the way, we had to add new filters to it to fit code for earthquake. So it, it was absolutely incredible what we had to do in order to make sure we preserved for the history and the tradition of 1962 in the world's fair. So it was from an engineering standpoint, it was the most difficult project I've ever seen by far the amount of temporary steel we had to use to keep the building up. Then we had to take the giant support beams and we went down another 35 feet. We had to extend those giant support beams and all of the steel that was associated with keeping the roof up and figure out a way to make all that work. So the the team did an incredible job. It was a huge commitment to ultimately make sure that we were uh, doing everything we had to do to preserve the roof, not touch the roof, not damage the roof, reinstall the glass, but then we had to come along you're we still there along you. and um, and we had to ultimately figure out okay, how do we get people in and out of the building? How do we completely redesign the building in a new arena? get rid of the old steps. They used to have these steps that would go down to the lower level and they were terrible. So they created a dungeon kind of feel in this building. And it was a terrible feeling for people to come in and out of this building because you'd see a wall of steps coming out of the arena and you'd have to walk up them to get to the first level of the campus. Now everything is you walk in on the upper level of the building and I have a giant atrium that takes everybody down. And by the way, we have the largest installation of LED, LED boards in the history of the industry that tell a story as you go down the escalators of this building, and you're surrounded by LED walls everywhere. And right now, we got forests and rivers running through our lobby. So people are going to look around going, how the hell did they put a river in the lobby? <laughs> so it's it's really a remarkable story of thinking outside the box, being extremely entrepreneurial, and doing something extraordinary.
1: So I, 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 one thing I will say, Tim, about the roof, I just, I just certainly hope you fixed all the leaks. You know, <laughs> as, a, as an old Sonic, as an old Sonic fan, there were enough floor. I mean, the mops on the floor at, at, at Sonic games was kind of getting tiresome after a
2: while. So, well, here's, um, you could always sit here and say, yeah, we fixed all the leaks, but I guess we're going to know when we have the Foo Fighters on stage. <laughs> um, I hear it rains here quite a bit, so we're going to find out quickly.
0: <laughs> all right, but. I I don't want to, I don't want to dwell on this by any stretch of the imagination. Did you support the roof, the roof that you had to keep? Did you support it with, with steel girders up in the air and then build underneath it? Or did you take the roof and put it kind of off to the side and then put it back on?
2: So again, great question. And this is what kept us up at night. Um, You can't put a crane above the roof. And so you, because you can't touch the roof. And so what we had to do is build temporary steel on all sides and then detach the the old support beams then rest the roof on the temporary support beams and once you did that all the way around then you took out the old support beams for a moment extended them by 35 feet further in the ground so that they can ultimately have the cement and the steel necessary to support the roof once you got all of that done, you had to reattach the old beams. And then once you reattach the old beams, you had to take out all the temporary steel. And in the meantime, we were trying to build a new arena. So, <laughs> one of the hardest parts of this is we couldn't use cranes. So, we had to figure out a way to take the old steel, extend it. And then once we reattached the roof to the old steel, taking the temporary steel out turned out to be the hardest problem because we couldn't take it straight out. So, we'd had to configure it around all of the raker beams that we were pouring for the seats and time it so that we could turn all of the steel on its side and then ship it out. And then a crane outside of the building would pick it up, put it on the trucks and we'd haul it away. And by the way, we had to recycle all of our temporary steel because we're carbon neutral. So you have that sustainability commitment we were trying to make. That, That was one of the great parts of saving the roof that was very sustainable but then we had to figure out things like all of the temporary steel had to be melted and reused again in order to fulfill our commitment to be carbon neutral
1: so it it really is
2: an amazing feat of engineering
1: i bet so compare uh, doing what you did in seattle to what you did in elmont
2: uh well elmont was the good news on elmont is we had 440 acres of dirt and so the ability to go kind of design it and make it work which is ironic. So if you think about the history of sports, hockey and basketball on arenas in New York, Madison square garden is built around a station and railroad tracks. Right. Center is built around a station and railroad tracks. And so this is really the first arena at UBS arena in the history of any of the arenas in New York where we got to go design it and build it the right way. So we didn't have to worry about Penn station and we didn't have to worry about uh, the subway lines Um, we are attached to a Long Island Railroad station that we built. It's actually the first one in 50 years that's been built in New York because it was a private-public partnership, and we figured out a way to get it done. But the uniqueness there is we got to do it in a perfect way. So it's also about a million square feet. Beautiful building. We spent about a billion dollars on the building. And if you think about it, it's ironic that the Islanders were really one of the only teams in the NHL that did not have a home, didn't have a permanent home. And when they did have a permanent home at Nassau Coliseum, they had a terrible permanent home. Mm -hmm. So for 30 years, people have been trying to figure out how to fix the Islanders. For 10 years here in Seattle, we've essentially tried to chase our tail on what drove the Sonics out of town, which is you got to build a new arena and get it up to economic standards for the NHL and the NBA. The two had a lot in, in common. The two were completely polar opposites on how you designed them and how you built them. They're both beautiful. I think this is the new age of arenas and it's ironic that you have the 32nd franchise of the NHL with a Kraken and one of the most beautiful arenas I've ever seen. And now the Islanders that have went from the outhouse to the penthouse (laughs) and are moving into an arena and finally have a place to call home.
0: With Tim Laiwicki, we are all of an age where we can remember when, um, Arenas were built as standalone entities. Um, they were all pretty much cookie cutter, 16, 17, 18,000 square uh, uh, attendance, um, building a box, and you had your team. Today, that's not enough uh, for most. Uh, they become the focus of gigantic entertainment centers. If you look at, well, to some extent, what MLSE did in Toronto and with oh, the what, Tim did land. At, what Tim did at Staples Center, too. What you did at Staples Center was is extraordinary, um, Edmonton, um, and you can go down the list. That seems to be the preferred way to do things. Did you do that in Seattle? Are there um, extras that you um, attached to or surrounded the arena with?
2: So yeah, it' a good good question, and I agree with you. You know, when I began forty years ago in the industry, you were living off of tickets and a little bit of sponsorship and a little bit of distribution revenue. And the world's completely evolved now where much of your revenue comes from distribution rights. A lot of your revenue now is going to come from streaming rights. A lot of your revenue comes from development rights. And a lot of your revenue comes from premium opportunities in the arena. And if you don't figure out a way to go uh, compete within those revenue streams, then you become the Phoenix Coyotes. And no one wants to be the fingers. And so Uh, no kidding. So I I think the world is evolved in sports where now you have to be in the development business. And I think if you look at Daryl Katz and what he did in Edmonton, he did a good job of going from that old standalone arena that was out in the middle of nowhere to building an arena that was at the core of the development that Daryl built around it. Now he has all the economic upside of that development similar to what happened at L.A. Live with Staples Center for the Kings and the Lakers. That is an important model when you live in a league like the National Hockey League or the National Basketball Association, where you have to compete with all of your brethren on the kind of revenue you can generate in order to go spend on your team. The other thing that's important, I think, in the NHL is we're all in the recruiting business. And so when you have a hard cap, you think an awful lot about, I want to have the best locker rooms. I want to have the best training center. I want to have the best arena to play in. Um, It doesn't hurt that in Seattle, it's a non-tax income state. And so that's a fairly good recruiting tool. So my brother and David Bonderman spent almost a hundred million dollars on a new training center, three sheets of ice. And it's spectacular. And it's it's one of the nicest, if not the nicest I've ever seen. Uh, Obviously spending 1.1 billion on an arena was important, but we do have rights. So what's interesting here, there's a 74 acre campus called the Seattle Center that was created for the world's fair. And we're right smack in the heart of downtown Seattle. So we're in this beautiful public park. And what we've done with the city is control the revenue streams in the 74 acres. So the signage, sponsorship, naming rights, parking revenue, the, the sales tax that's generated on the campus, All of that is a split between us and the city. So we come along now and we have the ability to grow the revenue stream from the 74 acre Mm -hmm. campus and and the revenue we generate from parking and sponsorship. But we also are building a brand new sports bar, restaurant and event center, a three story um, building very similar to, by the way, what I learned at Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment with the real sports complex across the street from Scotiabank Arena. That's going to happen here as well. So we are in the development business. We are in the the discretionary revenue business with the rest of the 74 acres around us. Similar to what we're doing as well at UBS Arena with the Islanders, where Scott Malkin, the owner of the Islanders, is building out 365,000 square feet of retail. And we do have um, all the parking. So imagine owning 5,500 parking spaces that you control. So it's, it's a new world. You got to think outside the box to be competitive. If you want to have greatness on a hockey team and have predictability, you got to think about how you're going to be able to, to compete. You're going to have to think about how you generate revenue. And most of all, especially in the NHL, you have to build a, a place and facilities where everybody wants to be there. And I think we've done that with the Islanders and UBS and Lou Lamorello. And I'm absolutely convinced that Seattle – with Ron Francis and Todd, my brother, this is a place that players are going to want to come to. The, the city's beautiful. The facilities are second to none. And the arena is extraordinary. It, it's going to be one of the loudest buildings in the NHL.
1: Was that your selling point to the guys in uh, Arizona too, Tim? Because you're involved with them, aren't you?
2: So I, I we, we, we're not yet. Um, you know, we the funny thing about this company, I have seven arenas under construction. But there's going to be a point in time, just like we're now looking at with Climate Pledge Arena and UBS Arena here in the next 30 days, I open these buildings up and then I got to take all of my team. And and when we finish our new acquisition, we're going to have about um, 4,000, 4,500 employees. Um, I always like to tell people the little birds in the nest are chirping and I got to keep on feeding them. So I got to go find new projects. And so we work hand in hand with Gary about thinking about, current franchises that, that need new homes or maybe new cities that want either existing franchises or an expansion franchise. Uh, same in the NBA where I think there's some opportunity there we're doing international arenas as well, but now I think you'll see us do things like Hamilton where we just came along and announced, we're going to take that old arena, uh, got it and put what could be as much as 150 million, uh, and in renovation into that building and rebuild it. So we got to find new projects and I would bet we're going to, I'm not sure we ever find anything as dynamic as the 32nd franchise in the national hockey league with Seattle, uh, or a brand new home for the New York Islanders. But my guess is we're going to find a few existing franchises that need new arenas and partner with them. And maybe we're the solution to a franchise that needs to move or a new home. I, I don't think Gary, is ruling out expansion at a later date, if you could find the right markets and the right owners.
0: Uh, we want, I wanna to touch on some of that. We'll take a break quickly. Tim Laiwiki is uh, with us, the CEO of OQ Group, back after these messages. It's McCowan, it's Shannon. Tim Laiwiki is uh, with us. He's in Seattle where they're getting set to open uh, their arena. when is When is the, uh, when's the opening concert?
2: So we have Foo Fighters doing a private, but there's no such a thing as a private with the Foo Fighters. They're a stadium and opening up an arena. So we have about 13,000 people first night. And then Coldplay, which hasn't done an arena in about, I don't know, 15 years. They were kind enough to come here because of our commitment to sustainability. And that is broadcast to 500 million people around the world on Friday night uh, through Amazon and all of their platforms. And so that, that's going to be unbelievable. We're going to have 17, 18,000 people in the building. I'm really excited about that. And then we go right into the Kraken. And, and it's funny, the first two games, ironically, are the Canucks and the Canadians. And so it, it's funny <laughs> as I talk about how much Seattle reminds me of a Canadian city, that our first two home games are against two Canadian teams.
1: That, and that's going to be a great rivalry, Tim. And you and, you, and, you and Todd, I'm sure, have talked about it, is Vancouver-Seattle. On so many levels. You've seen it with the Sounders already. Um, And uh, the the Vancouver Canucks and the Seattle Kraken is going to be and rival some of the great rivalries in the National Hockey League.
2: Yeah, I agree. And by the way, I think, and I, I mean this in all due respect because the Canucks are good friends of ours. And by the way, he was probably the most emotional owner about getting Seattle in. I think the Canucks need the Kraken. I think they need that rivalry, they need an awakening. I think they got a good young team. I think they're a little bit better than some people are giving them credits for. But I think they needed to kind of find an awakening. Seattle and Vancouver are actually really close. It it is by far the closest city that we have Mm -hmm. to um, people being able to travel back and forth. So I think we're going to see two really unique things that I'm not sure the Seattle NHL fans are going to completely understand. The rivalry with Vancouver is going to be intense, very intense and good for both organizations. And then that Tuesday night game against the Canadians, they're going to see a lot of red in their building and they're going to look around and where the hell did this come from?
0: <laughs> Wait till the border opens. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. <laughs> well,
0: I want to talk about the ham. There's a few things I want to discuss, but one of them is the Hamilton situation that you talked about. So $150 million. And it's, it's work on the arena, but it's that surrounding area as well, i made to understand. What's the objective there, Tim? This is a city that had a shot at an NHL team many years ago, didn't get it. There are issues about uh, how much control the Toronto Maple Leafs have over the geographic area. What's the objective in Hamilton?
2: So uh, again, it's another intro. I I seem to have nothing but interesting projects. So this is a really interesting project. One, we did it with a a good communication that existed between Larry Tannenbaum and myself. I I did not, this is not meant to compete with Maple Leaf sports and entertainment. It's we do not envision getting an NHL team. That's not the intent of this. Um, It it is, you know, after I spent three years at MLSE I now understand the dynamics and the politics of the NHL in Canada, good, bad, or indifferent. I get it. <laughs> and so we're not picking a fight with Larry and I'm doing it with his full knowledge. Um, and we make sure we maintain a good rela I probably have a, a better relationship with Larry now than maybe we, we should have had when we were together. But if you think about the, the three-year run and what came from that three-year run, um, Larry and I actually had a we did a lot of really good things that came out of those three years. So I have great respect and I don't want to damage that relationship. So we started there. We made sure everyone understood there's a lot of other events and a lot of other opportunities that that Hamilton could exceed and excel at. And so um, there's other leagues, there's other hockey teams, there's other hockey events, there's the Canadian hockey opportunities for Tournaments and qualification games and other things that I think um couldn't use a new home. Uh clearly there's an opportunity to grow with some preseason games for both the Leafs and the Raptors in that part of the world. And I think all of that'll be in the mix. The reality is Scotiabank is a very, very busy building, and it's hard to get dates in the building with NHL and NBA and all the other events. So our ability to have a relief valve for that metropolitan area for what we're doing on music is huge. And we're very close and tied into live nation. So we'll do a lot of uh, concerts in the new building or the renovated building. We'll do a lot of amateur hockey events. We'll look for a lot of tournaments. We'll look on international events. We could bid on. So I, I actually think it's going to be a great building. And as you mentioned, Bob, the, they're redoing the entire district. So they're gonna spend close to a billion dollars on new retail, new commercial, new hotels, uh, residential. So there, there's an entire revisioning of a uh, rejuvenation of the downtown Hamilton core. And our, and our part of it is gonna be the arena. That's what we're gonna focus on. And it's meant to complement uh Scotiabank Arena, not compete. And so I think we'll actually have a good relationship with Larry and the folks at MLSE. and it is not meant, nor do I have any grand ambitions at any point that we're trying to go steal an NHL team and move them to Hamilton.
0: Understood. Um, One of the, we have been made aware that um, Canada basketball is looking for uh, some opportunities. Um, Have you had any conversations with them? Because Hamilton has been mentioned as a potential kind of focal site for for Canada basketball and, and the quote unquote national team.
2: Yeah, uh, we have talked to them, uh, the old regime and now the new regime. And by the way, I'm close with all of them. Ironically, Glenn Grunwald who who ran Canada basketball used to work for me at the Denver nuggets. And now the current new uh, management team, there is a group of people that I had the good fortune of working with at Maple Leaf sports and entertainment. So we have a good relationship with them. We know them well. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely want to look, I, you know, Masai and the Raptors have done an amazing job of lifting Canada up as it relates to basketball and kids playing the game and the ability to take that national team and reach new heights. I'd love to play a role there. Uh, If we can have an opportunity to build a permanent training center for them, it would be something we'd be interested in. There's a lot of people that are involved in that and a lot of people that have Um, more impact on that decision, but that clearly would be something we'd want to play a role in. We definitely want to host games for them. Um, I think that's the brilliance of the Hamilton vision is there's a lot of growth that's going to still come in hockey and basketball. There's a lot of amateur opportunities. There's a lot of international opportunities. And so if we could play a role of being the central facility for those kinds of events, and that kind of development, that's something that we're gonna take risk on. And I think that's probably Bob, what it requires is an entrepreneurial spirit to go in there, forge a relationship with both Canada basketball and Canada hockey, and now say, what can we do to help you continue to develop and grow the game in the in the country? But what, what can we also do where internationally, we can now bid on events and bring them here? Because right. as we've seen with hockey, those international events and tournaments are a huge opportunity to further inspire kids to want to play the game of hockey. And I think we could do that for basketball as well.
1: Hey, Tim, how, how, uh, your time with MLSE, how has it changed your business approach and view of Canada? I mean, it, it, you, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's an awful thing to say, but there's lots of, lots of Americans that look at Canada and roll their eyes. You came to Canada, you changed things here. Um, has that changed your thought process of what Canada and the opportunities in Canada can bring?
2: Yeah. I don't talk about parades as much as I used to, and I don't take pictures down from hallways, but um, (laughs) I think from a business standpoint, you know, I love my time in Toronto. I loved working with the whole team at the Maple Leafs. Um, I, I probably even relished more working with Masai and Bobby and the team at the Raptors that that was a lot of fun. Love TFC and what we, you know, I always thought that if we could win first at TFC, it would change the culture of the organization and we'd get rid of the burden that really hung around MLSC's neck, which was we weren't committed to winning championships. We were just committed to making money. And so I think for Bell, Rogers and Larry, I think they've done a really good job of, of now being in a place where people understand they do really want to win trophies and they do really care about rings. And that was a huge cultural change from an EBITDA driven culture to a let's win rings culture. And by the way, the EBITDA will be there if we win rings. So that that time there, one, changed my vision of Canada. And and the fact, it's, it's a much, I hate saying this, because I'm going to now tick a bunch of people off in the US. I just think, Toronto was a much better place to live. People were kinder. You know, we weren't shooting at each other. We didn't have some of the issues we now have that are dividing our country in the United States. I don't want to get into politics, but I just felt that it was a kinder, gentler culture. And that really changed my perception about Canadians and, and the way they treated each other. But I think in sports, what I was fascinated by is, I remember the first Raptors game I went when I officially had joined the organization, it was the last game of that regular season. And and I looked around and on one hand, it would have been easy to get depressed because it was, you know, half full. It was not an emotional crowd. They had clearly given up on the organization a little bit. But on the other hand, it was such a diverse young crowd. And I'm like, God, this is amazing. All of these young kids that are here to watch this game. And I began to understand the passion for basketball in Toronto and what a massive international marketplace Toronto was. I mean, look at both TFC and soccer and Raptors and basketball. Those crowds are some of the most diverse crowds mm-hmm. in major league soccer and the NBA the NBA. So I still, to this day, love Toronto. It inspires me an awful lot in my thinking in Seattle because it's a very similar marketplace. Um, it's the reason I chased Hamilton I want to plant a flag. We're about to open an office in Toronto. It's a place I want to be a part of. And so it taught me a few things on how to run organizations and what to say and what not to say. It teaches you a lot about the media because you're under much more media scrutiny there when you're involved with the Leafs. But it also allowed me a little bit of understanding on the culture and the brilliance of living in Canada and Canadians. And it's still a pretty special place in my heart and I'm pretty excited about getting to um, invest and have projects now that I could be a part of in Toronto and in Hamilton.
1: Any coincidence that any coincidence that Dave Hopkinson, MLSE guy worked for you, Jeff DeLine, MLSE guy worked for you, Tom Pastore, MLSE guy worked for you. One's at the Islanders, one's at the Mets and one's at MSG.
2: Yeah. um, If I said yes, Larry would get mad at me. And I've spent a lot of time on that relationship. So Uh, I'll say, I'll let everyone else decide if there was a coincidence, but they're all three great sports executives. And Tom works with me day to day on the UBS arena. And I'm really excited to be a part of that. And Jeff has a really challenging opportunity, but a good opportunity with the Mets. Look, New York city is the largest city in North America. um, Second, maybe to Mexico, but it's the, it's the Mecca uh, for sports, for live music and for culture and entertainment. And so those three guys and justifiably so they're running some of the biggest organizations now in the live entertainment and sports business and good for them. They deserve it. It's a real compliment to MLSE and the the leaders that they built there. And so I take it as a positive, not a negative that three Toronto guys uh, learned and did such an incredible job at MLSE as a platform that they're now in three of the most prominent sports positions in the industry. And that again, that says an awful lot about Toronto and MLSE and how, what a great job they did breeding these leaders that are now leading some of the biggest organizations in the business.
0: Kind of a personal question. I don't know whether this will wrap it up or not, but uh, how'd you meet Irving Azov?
2: Um, he used to beat me up every day on deals. And so <laughs> I decided it would be better to be working with Irving than against Irving. So I've, I've been on both. I've known Irving most of my adult life. Um, we were very close and friends and he, like the Eagles, everyone laughed and called them my house band because they opened up, uh, Staples Center did, um, the millennial concert for me. They opened up my old Nokia theater for me. So they, they did an awful lot of our arenas and we were really ha- lucky to have them. Um, then Irving and I had a falling out because he, he became the chairman of Live Nation and Ticketmaster. And at AEG, we competed against him every day, and it was ferocious. And then Irving and I always had this dream of building this company together. We came back together. He's the most important man in content and music, and I'm building the arenas on a day-to-day basis. It's a really good partnership. And ironically, um, on November 5th and 6th in Seattle, I have two Knights of the Eagles. And so we're really looking forward to that and and opening that uh, building with those guys because they still are close to us and Irving still manages them. Irving's an an amazing, amazing icon in the music business. And um, it's fun building this company together. And we've grown from four people to 4,500 people. And it's amazing. And in just a period of six years where we've come from, but I'm enjoying the journey with him.
0: Well, like you, I'm a big Eagles fan, have been uh, all of my adult life, and I had I had the privilege to meet Irving once and um, have uh, knocked on his door a couple of times when the Eagles have been around, and I said, geez, I could use a few tickets uh, to go and see the Eagles, and if I couldn't get him any other place, I'd call Irving's office, and he was always, he was always, um, I paid no, there was no freebies, but um, he, he was always uh, good to get me get me hooked up. You know, so. Bob, there are flights from Toronto
1: to Seattle nonstop
0: on Air Canada. You know, mm-hmm. you can go, you know. I may have to take one.
2: <laughs> hey, hey, by the way, Bob, just because I know you're a huge music fan. So this building has, we could put 16 semi-trucks in my loading dock at one time. Huge, it's like a massive change for music. I have an artist compound that is just for the music artist. We have a recording studio that wow. we built just for the artist here. And I tell all the artists coming into the building now, you don't have to smell the hockey equipment from the night before anymore. You get to go <laughs> into your own compound. So um, you're, you're, you should come see a show here because the other thing you'll see, we treated the whole building acoustically to be perfect for music. So that's the fun part of being partners with Irving. All of our buildings, including UBS, are built just as much for music as as hockey. And it, I know those guys are going to miss the smell of the pads from the goalies and the gloves from the night before. I doubt it. It's kind of ironic that we get to put the Eagles in a in a compound that is all theirs now.
1: Hey, you know, I just, I know we got a goal, but uh, you, you, we touched on the NBA. Do you have any concept of when the NBA team's coming back to Seattle? I mean, you and Adam Silver obviously have talked a lot.
2: Yeah. So Adam's been one of my closest professional friends and boosters. So I went to, the to, ironically, I went to Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment in large part because of David Stern and Adam. Um, they really pushed me and wanted, look, they were, the Raptors were not the NBA. They, they used to kid me. The NBA TV deal in Canada was smaller than some third world mm-hmm. nations on islands. It was absolutely amazing. And so they wanted a resurgence there. And they knew that I'd double down on the Raptors because I came from the NBA family. I know I have a better friend than Adam, but I also learned not to get ahead of him. And so it's his world and I'm just living in it. But new arena, check. Revenue streams that'll put them in top third of the NBA, check. A franchise uh, organization and leadership committee here that ultimately will be second to none for the NBA, check. A training center location, yes, we built the training center for the hockey team. So we could also handle an NBA training center on top check an ownership group prepared to write a check, check a marketplace that will sell out every game and every ticket for the NBA check. So he knows we're here. He knows we solved the problem, but he's the boss. And at the right time, he'll let us know what and where he wants to go with NBA in Seattle. But I think this town and the Sonics fan base here, they have 10 years ago. And ironically, it's hard for some of them to watch hockey come and have the 100,000 season ticket holders for the Crockett. It's shocking, and it's amazing. That said, I've told all of them, there's a time and a place, and you got to follow the leader, the commissioner and the owners, and we're going to follow their lead.
0: Tim, we're, um, we're happy, uh, but not surprised at your continued success since you uh, left us here in Toronto. Uh, we congratulate you we and we thank you very much um, for taking a few minutes to chat with us it's good to see you and uh, hopefully we'll have the opportunity to do this somewhere down the road maybe maybe once the hamilton project gets underway or uh, you got something going on in italy too i understand so yeah uh, we'll, we'll find we'll find a time and a place i hope Thanks i'd rather to go, you go to italy to than ham- i'd rather go to italy than hamilton so
2: Yeah, let's well let's start with getting Bob to the Eagles in Seattle. That'll be enough of an effort. But I do miss you guys. You were always very fair and and kind to me. But what I love most, and this this interview was again fascinating for me, because you you it, it I love the fact you guys get into the engineering of arenas or the business and the culture of how you now get these things built. It always a pleasure. Very much do miss Toronto and Canada but I've gotten as close as I can to Seattle. As everyone knows, I think Seattle's further North than Toronto is. So we're, 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 um, we're, we're anxious to be a part of your world. And I miss you and everybody in the marketplace and hope to see everyone soon. And as always grateful for the opportunity, you guys, thank you very much.
0: Thanks, Tim. Good to see you. Uh, Cheers. Continued success. Tim Waiwiki. We'll come back after these messages. So our thanks to Tim Lewicki uh, for uh, joining us. That was a uh, fascinating conversation. I, I actually th- think
1: now, Bob, I think he likes you. I think he well, likes he might. It. Yeah, I will tell you why I threw the Eagles thing in there. You know, there's yeah, a bond know, yeah, there with yeah, the, well, you, and, you and you and you and Tim and Irving. Yes, I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I yeah. The uh, I, I will tell you though. Um, I sent Tim one text. Please come on the show. Boom.
0: He and he responded on. immediately that's great within, within
1: within 30 seconds wow and and it was uh, no i you know what anything for you guys happy to come on um that's fantastic yeah and uh, he, he hasn't forgotten he and he, i think that that that's a reflection of of that learning curve that we talked about i think i think it's a reflection of he understands uh what goes on in this country and how important things are now
0: uh, a bunch of things to discuss i don't know whether we'll, how many we'll get to here but the other night, the Toronto Maple Leafs played a game with a goaltender who hadn't been, I don't think, had played a game in a year and a half, as a goaltender for the University of Toronto. Um, well, he sat on f- the bench. He sat on the bench. Well, whatever. Yeah. Amateur tryout. How is it? Um, this is the National Bleeping Hockey League. This kind of stuff should not happen. Should not happen. Cap issues. Well, then cap issues, Bob. This, but this should not. But the cap cannot rule the product that you put on the ice or it's even the, on the bench. It's the great equalizer, Bob. That's it's not it, an equalizer. That, well, then the, the option, it, it is, John. The option should be: then you must sit one of your regulars out or send them to the minors or whatever, and bring up a professional. You should not be allowed to put amateurs, even on the bench, just to circumvent the cap rules. Period. It is unprofessional. It is demeaning to the league. Can you imagine that kind of thing happening in the National Football League? I don't know. I think I've seen a couple of the kickers in the last couple of weeks. Some of the kickers should well, be. Well, they look like they're, they're amateurs, but. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, but it, it, you know, it, listen, it, it's, it's, it's one of those um, ancillary issues that comes with a hard cap and with a team that uh, is so tight. But to the it cap. shouldn't.
0: Usually, well, sh- then change so, so the rules was, and regulations. when
1: well, you can't that, change so, the rules
0: now. You got six more years of this. Well, sure you can. You're the National Hockey League. This was an this was a potential embarrassment. Who, you know, uh, it just this kind of stuff should not happen. You have goaltenders in your minor league system that are well, at least one in Hutchinson. That's right. Who is, you know, a proven a NHL veteran nhl quality. goalie that's right. that's Yeah, that's right yeah yeah but you can't call him up because you're going to go over the 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 cap that's no. correct yeah well but the answer should be if you need if you want to have a second goaltender and i think by law you have to don't you by rule you have to have a second that's, goaltender a, good on qu- the
1: that's a good question you didn't
0: used to i don't know if you
1: i don't know if you do or not but no, it, years it, ago it, you it, didn't there was a, only one goaltender Yes. I I remember Bob. Yeah. Yes. Lefty Reed used to come out of the seat seats. That's uh, right. Lefty Wilson, lefty Lefty Wilson, lefty Wilson, lefty really ran the hall of fame. Um, I I think they were both lefties. So, so yeah, it's, they, I guess they had an option of not to dress a a forward or a defenseman in order to, you know, but you know what, that's, this is, this is what Gary designed in order to keep all the teams in check. It's designed to keep all the teams in check so that people aren't overspending and people have to manage their money. You know, it's no, I, 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 I got thinking about this the other day. This is like, this is like how you run your fantasy league. You know, you got no more money to spend on your fantasy league. You're screwed. Well, you know what? Kyle had no more money to spend
0: on his team. He well, was- he had an, option, but he had an option. He chose not to, t- to take it, to not dress somebody. Yes, that's right. That's right. And he shouldn't be allowed to do that. Pure and simple the integrity of what of the product that you you put on the ice or dress or whatever is compromised by what they were what they did on saturday night now i'm not necessarily blaming kyle because those are the rules it's the rules that are stupid so change the rules so not happen kind of thing can't happen again rules aren't being changed Players, teams have to I be don't better. care what you say and i don't care what the nhl says I'm telling you, this was an embarrassment to them and and by consequence to you too, Mr. Hockey Puck, who defends everything NHL. I
1: don't defend this was an embarrassment. I don't defend everything NHL. This is this is one of those things where listen, Kyle and
0: every other team that's tight to the cap. You better let me have ask you a question. Money. What would have happened if Kyle Dubas had decided to put a six-year-old might goaltender on the bench? Well can't happen. Why? Age. You have, Why? To be 18, you have to be 18 years old. All right. So what if he taken an 18-year-old out of junior? That would have been okay. Sure. What, a, what about a, a junior C goal, 18-year-old? Well, like how far do you want to go? Because, I mean, with no disrespect to the kid who was, well, he's 24, was sitting on the bench. And, and listen, he's, he's got a pretty good resume as a goaltender. Well, yeah,
1: I guess. Or Bob, listen, have- I listen. Th- in the end, I think you're just ticked off they didn't phone you. That's the problem. They didn't oh. phone and ask for a senior citizen who you know played in the in the era of George Vesna. That's why
0: you're picked. You're, you know, you're ticked off. I did not play in the era of George Vesna. I played before? well before George. Vezina. <laughs> right. Say goodbye. Uh, we got to get out of here. Time is our enemy. Content sometimes is our enemy too. <laughs> um, we'll see you tomorrow. Goodbye, everybody.